Hello and welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 153. I am your host, Noah Roshetta, and today I'm going to talk about the beauty of not knowing. As always, keep in mind you don't need to use what you learned from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. You can use what you learned to be a better whatever you already are. If you're interested in learning more about Buddhism, check out my book, No Nonsense Buddhism for Beginners, available on Amazon, or you can also listen to the first five episodes of this podcast. To find those easily, visit secularbuddhism.com and click on the Start Here link. If you're looking for a community to practice with and to interact with, consider becoming a patron by visiting secularbuddhism.com and clicking the link to join our community. In his book, The Compass of Zen, Zen master Seng San said, I do not teach Buddhism. I only teach don't know. This is a quote that I like, uh, and I want to share some thoughts regarding this notion of don't know. What does that mean? I only teach don't know. Not knowing, the beauty of not knowing, arises when we understand that reality, as a complete picture, is unknowable. First, because it's always changing. And second, because we are limited in our perspective of where we stand in terms of space and time. And this is taught with the story in Buddhism, the story of the six blind men and the elephant, which I've brought up multiple times on the podcast where you have six blind men trying to describe an elephant, and they're all describing different parts of the elephant, and none of them can give an accurate picture of the whole elephant because they're limited with where they stand, right? If I'm standing at the foot versus at the back versus the front versus sitting on top of versus standing under, you know, what, what I perceive and what I'm going to describe that I'm perceiving is different than what someone else will be experiencing at a different part of the elephant. And the key teaching with the six blind men and the elephant is the understanding that nobody has the full picture. And that's how reality is. Reality in general is a picture that can't be seen as a whole. It's just literally impossible. For example, I know what it's like to be me living in 2021 Uh, to be a male uh, of 42 years of age. I know what it's like to be a parent. I know everything that I perceive is based on where I am in space and time and the interdependent connections of all the things that make me what I am right now. I know what it is to be a twin. I know what it is to be a a brother, um, a son, a dad, you know, all of these things. But that's in today's day and age. I don't know what it's like to be someone who lived in the Middle Ages or someone who lived, um, you know, I don't know, 100, 200,000 years ago. I don't know what that would have been like. I can imagine, but I can't know. And even in my own same day and age, I don't know what it's like to be a Syrian refugee. I don't know what it's like to be a person of color. I don't know what it's like to be a female. I don't know what it's like to be um, a mother. You know, there are aspects of reality that I can't access because of where I stand in space and time. When I understand that, 
that is what I mean by the the beauty of not knowing. It it opens up this sense of curiosity, and I can only go off of what someone else can describe to me. Someone who's standing at a different part of the elephant describing what it's like to be a female, what it's like to be, um, I don't know, anything, you name it, right? Anything that's not what I am, I can't know what that's like. And to me, that's that's what I mean when I say the beauty of not knowing arises when we understand that reality as a complete picture is simply unknowable. Um, the blind man and the elephant is a, a good reminder of that. And I think when we understand that analogy and how it relates to reality and to our day-to-day lives, I think we start to experience the beauty of not knowing. Now, in the Zen tradition, a Zen teacher may hold up a cup and ask, is this a cup or is this not a cup? And they won't answer, they won't answer the question because it's left up to you to now look at that cup and think, huh, is it a cup or is it not a cup? And, uh, you know, well, it is a cup based on one perspective and one set of use that we give it, but it's also not a cup. It could just be all the other things that it is that are not a cup, right? And, And there's no need for an answer because the question ends up being more enlightening than the answer. The question speaks to the nature of how our mind works, which is, we came up with the notion cup, and we stuck with that label and we defined it, but cup is a concept, and concepts are tricky things. When we buy into the concept, we end up falling into the trap of thinking things are as we think they are. But that's the trap. Is it really a cup, or is it not a cup? And however we think things are, they aren't. We're always making things up. Understanding can't help us in this process because uh, concepts are the problem. We create concepts. Another example of this would be weeds. You know, if I were to ask you, what is a weed? You can point out, and, and we even have names for weeds. This one's a dandelion or this one's a, you know, whatever the name of the weed is. But at the end of the day, it's it's a concept we gave to it. So the only thing that separates a weed from a not weed is weeds are the ones that we don't want. Weeds are the plants that we don't want, but they're all plants and there there's no inherent goodness or badness to the plant. It's just the ones that we do want in the garden um, are not the weeds. The ones we don't want in the garden, we call those weeds. But the weed is the concept. So when, when we start to understand that that's what we do, we create the labels, we create the meanings, but nothing really is what it is. You know, what is it outside of the concept that we gave it? Ah, now you start to go into that world of not knowing. And that's where that beauty arises, the beauty of not knowing. So there's something else that arises in all of this, and that's that what you think something is ends up being more important than what it actually is. And that can be problematic. So here's a a quick example that um, happened to me recently. So my truck, when I go to honk the horn, for whatever reason, it doesn't do like the the short honk. It If you press it, it's like the minimum amount of time that it's going to uh, honk the horn seems to be like a one second or something like that. It's not enough for me to be able to just tap the horn and do the little tap tap like uh, at the light. And I discovered this being at the light and the light turned 
from red to green and the car in front of me wasn't moving. And I noticed that they didn't notice that the light had changed. So I had every intention of just tapping the horn softly <laughs> and, and doing the tap tap like, hey, just so you know, the light changed. But it didn't do that. When I touched it, it honked just long enough to where it sounded more like honk, like I'm annoyed. Well, the person started going and I could see that they were uh, a little frustrated, like mad at me. Like, how dare you do that to me? And I had this thought that occurred to me, which was, wow, that's really interesting because I think had it come across the way I intended it for it to come across, where it's just a little light tap tap, they would have known, oh, they're just trying to get my attention. Thank you. But it didn't come across that way. It came across like, hey, I'm really annoyed at you, so I'm going to honk at you long and, and loud. And I thought, there's no way for me to influence the reality of the story that's taking place with what just happened. There's what I was hoping would happen, and there's what this person interpreted, which is happening, which is this person behind me is really annoyed at me. And now they were embarrassed to pull up next to me. Uh, you, you could tell there was just the awkwardness. And I, I thought, that's so funny because that's kind of what life is like. We go about life making meaning. You know, I decided this is this is what it means if I honk. Well, the person interpreted this is what it means because they honked. And those are two different realities. And we're caught in that all the time. The reality of how we think things should be the reality of how things actually are, the reality of how we think others think things should be. And, and it's like this complex layer upon layer of alternate realities. And there may be some intersection between all of them, but for the most part, we're all living in our own little realities. And that, again, is where this notion of not knowing becomes a beautiful thing. I don't know why you honked at me. I don't, you know, I don't have to get caught in the meaning uh, and the belief that I have that arises so quickly, which is, oh, they honked at me. They're mad at me. I don't know that. I can just say, oh, there was a sound. I heard the sound and that made me get going again. And I don't have to play into the story that, that unfolds after that. So this again reminds me of the quote, good concepts are like a gold chain Bad concepts are like an iron chain. They all equally bind you in the end. And that's so true. Concepts, meaning, beliefs, once we have them, we're blinded by uh, whatever reality actually is. So again, using the car analogy here, uh, if somebody honks at me and I immediately decide, well, they're honking at me because they're mad at me, that's the belief. Now I have a belief that I get to hold on to and I, I can either attach to it, which is, well, if I thought that, then that must be what it is. Then I'm attached to my belief and I'm going to act accordingly. You know, I'm either going to drive fast so I don't have to mess with this person behind me, or maybe I'm going to be mad and I'm going to um, drive next to them and give them an ugly face or, you know, whatever unfolds after that is all based on the belief that you've already formulated and the belief was formulated based on the actions. But again, not knowing becomes the beautiful thing. If, if we can start to incorporate this a little bit more in our day-to-day -day lives, there's this aspect of, I don't know what's actually going on. Here's what I think is going on, but I, I'm not sure. And to be able to sit with that discomfort of not knowing, I mean, imagine how it would feel 
to not need to know, not need to be right. Uh, certainty is something that that we we strive to have in our lives. And I like to think of Buddhism in general as this very skillful way to approach um, not knowing. You know, again, when when this expression, I do not teach Buddhism, I only teach don't know. I like to think of this. I, I tell people all the time, most ideologies try to give us the answers that will be appeasing to the point where we have a sense of peace because now we have an answer that is satisfactory. And I'm talking about the big existential questions. You know, most ideologies, religions, worldviews, whatever you want to call it, tend to, they, they, they want to bring peace by saying, you know what? It's uncomfortable to not know. Why am I here? What happens when I die? Um, all these big questions. Well, let me give you the answers. And if you have the answer, and if you believe the answer, then yeah, you can have a sense of peace. But if that um, if that answer isn't satisfactory, or if doubt gets introduced into the equation, then the peace and, and contentment gets shaky because it was contingent on having the answer. Buddhism comes and does the opposite. It comes along not as a way to give you answers, but as a way to explore the question. And from the Buddhist approach, you take the question and you the question loses its power when you start to understand, well, this is not knowable, not knowing. The beauty of not knowing is that, well, then the question is irrelevant and the question loses its grip on me and it's no longer... Uh, it's no longer so important. And what you end up with when you lose the question is the same type of peace and serenity that you would have from having the answer, or at least having the answer that you think is the answer. So it accomplishes the same thing, but approaches it from an entirely different angle. So again, you have a big question. I can give you the answer, and you may have peace if you believe that that answer is correct. Or I could work with you to the point where you no longer feel the question is relevant and then you'll have peace because you don't care about the answer because you no longer care about the question. That to me is what makes this notion of not knowing, the, the, the beauty of not knowing so powerful is because we, you start to realize life is so not knowable. Reality is so not knowable. You know, I talk about life being like a game of Tetris. I don't know what piece shows up next. That's part of not knowing. But I'm not concerned because I don't I don't have to know what piece shows up next. I know that I can deal skillfully with the pieces that I have right now. So there again, that sense of not knowing. I don't know what happens when I die. I don't know what's out there that's greater, you know, greater than than what we know. Uh is the universe infinite? Is there a god? Like all these big questions that we have. I don't know. And I'm perfectly content with not knowing. And the peace and contentment that I experience from not knowing is similar to the peace and contentment that I would have from knowing. The difference is the it can't be taken away. You know, if, if I have the answer and something else comes along and introduces doubt, and now I'm not sure, well, now my peace goes away because it was it, it hinged on knowing. But not knowing, the beauty of not knowing is that can't be taken away. 
I, I don't know and I don't need to know. And the answer could be right there in front of me or not in front of me and it's going to do the exact same thing because I don't need to know. Because I know, I, I understand that it's a not a knowable thing. And if, if there is an answer from the Buddhist perspective, right, it's a, it's a concept in the same way that we define weeds and the same way that uh, we come up with things to label everything. So um, I, I hope that kind of makes sense. Buddhism seeks to extinguish or blow out the need to know. So not knowing ends up becoming a beautiful thing. And from this perspective, you know, I guess if you were to ask from the Buddhist lens, then what is what is true knowledge or true knowing? And the answer would be not knowing. I mean, this is a practice that's done so much in Buddhist practice, the, especially in Zen, to ask yourself questions like, what are you? Or what is this? I can look in the mirror or I can do this looking at my own hands. What is this? Who am I? What am I? And the conclusion, the only uh, honest conclusion that I can come up with after an introspective session of this would be, I don't know, but I, I, I am what I am. This is, this is what I am. Who are you? I'm me, right? I can't be anything else. And there's this sense of, uh, of beauty that arises in not knowing, and perhaps more importantly, in not needing to know. And that's what I wanted to get at. You know, um, know that any answer um, that you would give if you were entertaining, what are you or what is this, it, it would end up dissolving once you put it under the microscope. Very much the same way Again, an analogy that I use a lot is, is is a car. And you take a car and you deconstruct the car into all of its parts. What is a car? Ah, well, the car is a steering wheel and wheels and a motor and seats. And okay, well, then you end up recognizing there is no car, but there is a steering wheel and there are tires. And okay, well, then pick one of those things. What is a steering wheel? Oh, a piece of metal with leather wrapped around it and suddenly there is no steering wheel but there is leather right and you keep doing this and you take every part and realize things have causes and conditions everything is interdependent and the thing that seemed like the thing isn't the thing there is no car and yet yeah there is a car you can get in it and drive it but it's not what you think it is it's something it's a concept and weeds are a concept car is a concept and then suddenly you start to recognize uh-oh everything is like that and we go back to the original question that the the zen master would have asked you by holding up the cup is this a cup or is this not a cup and that's the invitation to be introspective is this a cup or is this not a cup now again um, i, I want to end this train of thought with a quote and that is the quote that says, Abiding nowhere, awakened mind arises. This is a Zen quote. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head who said this, um, but I'll post it in the notes or, or somewhere. But the, the reason I like this quote, Abiding nowhere, awakened mind arises. Think about it. Where is nowhere? Nowhere. Uh, it's the place where language no longer operates and all certainty dissolves. That's a pretty cool place to be, a world of no concepts. So 
when I abide in that nowhere, that space of not knowing, that's where the awakened mind arises because everything that has a concept or that is a label or that is meaning something that we've given it, that's not it. Go beyond that. Go to the place where words can no longer be used. There are no concepts if there are no words. Ah, in that space, there's where the awakened mind can arise. Now, that may sound a little woo-woo, but I don't think it is. I think this is the world of experiential knowledge. It's, it's the world, the realm where you experience something so visceral that there are no words to explain it. I remember feeling this holding my uh, first child. The, the moment I realized, wow, I'm a dad. There were no words to explain what I was feeling and experiencing in that moment. There was only experiencing it. Uh, and there have been other instances like that in my life. You can you can feel this sometimes looking at a sunset or standing at the edge of the ocean and looking out at the ocean, and there are no words. I experience this sometimes just looking at the cosmos, looking at the stars at night and just taking it all in and recognizing there are no words. You know, that is the realm where the awakened mind arises because you're abiding nowhere, meaning I'm in no inside of no concepts. So I hope some of that stuff makes sense. Um, I just wanted to share some thoughts again on the overall topic of, of the beauty of not knowing. All right. Well, that's all I have to share for this episode. I hope you can take these concepts, think about them over the next few weeks. What does this mean to you? And next time you look at a cup, you know, ask yourself, is it a cup or is it not a cup? <laughs> and that'll be the, the little Zen inside joke. All right. Well, that's all I have. I look forward to another episode later. Thank you for listening. Until next time.